clutched his arm, and he gave a groan and took a step back, raising his hand protectively. "'Yes, I'll do it, yes!' "'See you do!' said Vimes, taken aback. Then he, too, looked down at the inside of his wrist. "'What the hell is this?' he said, turning to Bashfulson. "'Ah, it left its mark on you, Commander,' said the Grag cheerfully. "'An exit wound, perhaps!' On the soft underskin of Vimes's wrist, the sign of the summoning dark blazed as a livid scar. Vimes turned his arm this way and that. "'It was real,' he said. "'Yes, but it is gone, I'm sure. There is a difference in you.' Vimes rubbed the symbol. It didn't hurt. It was just raised, reddened skin. "'It's not going to come back, is it?' he said. "'I doubt it'll risk it, sir,' said Angua. Vimes opened his mouth to ask her what she meant by that piece of sarcasm, when yet more dwarfs trotted into the cavern. These were the tallest and broadest dwarfs he'd ever seen. Unlike most dwarfs, they wore simple mail shirts and carried one axe, one good, large, beautifully balanced axe. Other dwarfs bristled with up to a dozen weapons. These dwarfs bristled with one each, and they separated and spread out into the cavern with a purpose, covering lines of sight, guarding shadows, and, in the case of four of them, taking up station behind detritus and brick. When they finally clattered to a halt, another group stepped out of the tunnel. Vimes recognised Rhys, low king of the dwarfs. He stopped, looked around, glanced briefly at Vimes, and summoned the captain to him. "'We have everything.' "'Sire,' said Good nervously, "'you know what I mean, Captain.' "'Yes, but we found nothing on any of them, sire. We searched them, and we've gone over the floor three times.' "'Excuse me,' said Vimes. "'Commander Vimes,' said the king, turning and greeting Vimes like a long-lost son. "'Tis good to see you.' "'You've lost the bloody cube,' said Vimes. "'After all this—' "'What cube would this be, Commander?' said the king. Vimes had to admire his acting ability, at least. "'The one you're looking for,' he said. "'The one dug up in my city, the one all this fuss is about. "'They wouldn't throw it away because they're grags, right? "'You can't destroy words. "'It's the worst crime there is. "'They can't destroy it, and they don't dare hide it. "'So they'd keep it with them.' The low king looked at Captain Good, who swallowed. "'It's not in this cave,' he muttered. "'They wouldn't leave it anywhere else,' said Vimes. "'Not now. Someone might find it.' The luckless captain turned to his king, seeking help there. "'There was panic everywhere when we arrived, sire,' he protested. "'People running and screaming. Fires everywhere. Complete chaos, sire. All we can be sure of is that no one got out. And we searched them all, sire. We searched them all.' Vimes shut his eyes. Memories were fading fast as common sense walled up all those things that could not have happened, but he recalled the panicking grags hunched over something. Had there been just a twinkle of blue and green specks? Time for a long shot. Corporal Nobbs, come here, he said. Let him through, Captain, I insist. Good didn't protest. His spirit was broken. A reluctant Nobby was produced. Yes, Mr. Vimes, he said. Corporal Nobbs, did you obtain that precious thing I asked you to acquire? said Vimes. "'Eh, what would that be, sir?' said Nobby. Vimes's heart leapt. Nobby's face was an open book, albeit the kind that got banned in some countries. "'Nobby, there are times when I'll put up with you mucking about. This isn't one of those,' he said. "'Did you find the thing I asked you to look for?' Nobby looked into his eyes. "'I... oh, 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 yes, sir,' he said. "'I... yes, we rushed in, you see, you see, you see, and, and people were running everywhere, and there was, like, smoke.' Nobby's face glazed, and his lips moved soundlessly in an agony of creation. 
and and I was bravely fighting when what did I see but a sparkly thing rolling and being kicked about, and I thought, I just bet that's the very same sparkly thing Mr Vimes very specifically told me to be looking out for, and here it is, all safe. He pulled a small glittering cube out of his pocket and held it out. Vimes was faster than the king, his hand shot forward, closed over the cube, and was locked in a fist in the skin of a second. "'Well done, Corporal Nobbs, for obeying my orders so concisely,' he said, and stifled a grin at Nobby's impeccably dreadful salute. "'I believe that is dwarf property, Commander Vimes,' said the king calmly. Vimes opened his hand, palm up. The cube, only a couple of inches across, gave off little blue and green glints. The metal looked like bronze that had been corroded by time into a beautiful pattern of greens, blues, and browns. It was a jewel. "'He's a king,' thought Vimes. "'A king on a throne as wobbly as a rocking horse. And he's not nice. It's not a job where the nice last long. He even got a spy into my watch. I will not put my faith in kings. Right now, who do I trust? Me.' One thing I do know is that no damned demon got inside my head, no matter what they say. I wouldn't buy that, even if they threw in a lifetime supply of cabbage. No one gets into my head but me. This damn burn is just a coincidence. It doesn't mean anything. But you play the hand you're dealt. Take it, he said, opening his hand. On his wrist, the summoning dark glowed. I ask you to give it to me, Commander, said Rhys. Take it, Vimes repeated, and he thought, let's see what you believe, shall we? The king reached out, hesitated, and then slowly withdrew his hand. Or perhaps, he said, as if the thought had just occurred to him, it might be best to leave it in your celebrated custody, Commander Vimes. Yes, I want to hear what it has to say, said Vimes, closing his fist again. I want to know what was too dangerous to know. "'Indeed, so do I,' said the King of the Dwarfs. "'We will take it to a place that can—' "'Look around you, sire,' snapped Vimes. "'Dwarfs and trolls died here. "'They weren't fighting. "'They were standing together. "'Look around you. "'The place looks like a god's damn game-board. "'Was this their testament? "'Then we listen to it here, in this place, at this time.' "'And supposing what it has to say is dreadful,' said the King, "'then we listen.' I am the King, Vimes. You have no authority here. This is not your city. You stand here defying me with a handful of men and your wife and child not ten miles away. Rhys stopped, and the echoes bounced back from distant caves, tumbling over themselves and dying into a silence that rang like iron. Out of the corner of his ear, Vimes heard Sally say, Whoops! Bashfulson hurried forward and whispered something in the King's ear. The king's expression changed, as only a politician's face can, into careful amity. "'I'm not going to do a thing,' Vimes told himself. "'I'm just going to stand here.' "'I do look forward to seeing Lady Sybil again,' said Rhys. "'And your son, of course.' "'Good. They're staying in a house not ten miles away,' said Vimes. "'Sergeant Littlebottom.' "'Sir,' said Cheery. Please take Lance Constable von Humperding with you and go down to the town, will you? Tell Lady Sybil I'm fine, Vimes added, not taking his eyes off the king. Off you go, right now. As they hurried away, the king smiled and looked around the cavern. Then he sighed. Well, I cannot afford a row with Ankh Morpork, not at the moment. Very well, Commander. Do you know how to make it speak? No, don't you?
This is a game, right? Vimes thought. A king wouldn't take this kind of gobbiness from anyone, especially when you outnumber them ten to one. A row? You'd just have to say that we got caught in a storm in Coombe Valley, which is such a treacherous place as everyone agrees. He will be greatly missed, and we will certainly hand over his body if ever it turns up. But you're not going to try that, are you, because you need me. You know something about this cavern, yes? And whatever's going to happen, you want good old, not sharp, by God's ye straight Sam Vimes to tell the world. No two cubes are alike, said Rhys. It is usually a word, but sometimes a breath, a sound, a temperature, a point in the world, the smell of rain, anything. I understand that there are many cubes that have never spoken. Really, said Vimes. But this thing damn well gabbled, and whoever sent it out of the valley wanted it to be heard, so I doubt it only starts talking when the virgin's tear falls on it on a warm Tuesday in February. And this one started chatting very smartly to a man who didn't know a word of dwarfish, too. But the speaker would want dwarfs to hear it, surely, the king protested. It's a two-thousand-year-old legend. Who knows who wanted what, said Vimes. What do you want? This was to Nobby, who had appeared beside him, looking with interest at the cube. How did that he get past my guards, said the king. The knobs sidle, said Vimes. And as a couple of embarrassed guards dropped heavy hands on Nobby's frail shoulders, he added, No, leave him. Come on, Nobby. You say something to make this thing start speaking. Eh, uh, say something or it'll be the worse for you, Nobby suggested. Not a bad try, Vimes conceded. A hundred years ago, sire, I doubt if anyone in Ankh-Morpork knew many words of dwarf or troll. Perhaps the message was intended for humans. There must have been a settlement down on a plain with all those birds and fish to eat. Perhaps some more human words than, uh, Nobby, said the king. Okay. Open. Speak. Say something. Talk. Spill the beans. Play. No, no, Mr. Vames, he's doing it all wrong, Fred Colon shouted. It was in the olden days, right? So it'd be old words like, uh, openeth. Vimes laughed as a thought struck. I wonder, he thought, it could be. This is not really about words. It's about sounds. Noises. Bashfulson was watching the attempt with a puzzled expression. What is the dwarf word for open, Mr. Bashfulson? said Vimes. And the sense of open a book? That would be dwee, commander. Hmm. That won't do. How about say? Why, that would be arg. Or in the preemptive form, Yok, Commander. You know, I don't think... Excuse me, said Vimes loudly. The babble of voices stopped. He moved the cube close to his mouth. Ork, he said. The blue and green lights ceased their sparkle, and instead began to form across the metal a pattern of blue and green squares. I thought the artist knew no dwarfish, said the king. He didn't, but he spoke fluent chicken, said Vimes. I'll explain later. Captain, fetch the grags, the king snapped. The prisoners too, even the trolls, all shall hear this. The metal seemed to be moving over Vimes's skin. Some of the green and blue squares rose slightly proud of the rest of the metal. The box began to speak. There was a crackle that sounded like dwarfish, although Vimes couldn't make out a single word. It was followed by a couple of loud knocking noises. Second convocation, Hubland Dwarfish, said Bashfulson. That would be right for the time. Whoever is speaking has just said, Art this thing working? The voice spoke again, 
As the cracked old syllables unrolled, Bashfulson went on, The first thing Tack did, he wroten himself. The second thing Tack did, he wroten the laws. The third thing Tack did, he wroten the world. The fourth thing Tack did, he wroten a cave. The fifth thing Tack did, he wroten a geode, a egg of stone. And in the glooming of the mouth of the cave, the geode hatched and the brothers were born. The first brother walked toward the light and stood under the open sky. This is just the story of the things Tack wrote, Cheery whispered to Vimes. Vimes shrugged and watched as some of the bodyguards hustled the old grags in the circle, ardent among them. It's not new or anything, Vimes said, disappointed. Every dwarf knows it, sir. He was the first dwarf, Bashfulson translated. He found the laws Tack had written, and he was endarkened. The crackling voice went on, and then Bashfulson, who had his eyes closed in concentration, opened them in shock. This time he didn't bother with the oldie world language. Uh, then Tack looked upon the stone, and it was trying to come alive, and Tack smiled and wrote an, All things strive, said the dwarf, raising his voice above the growing commotion around him. And for the service the stone had given, he fashioned it into the first troll, and delighted in the life that came unbidden. These are the things that Tack wrote an. He was shouting now because of the noise level. Vimes felt like an outsider. It seemed that everyone except him was arguing. Axes were being flourished. I who speak to you now am Barion Bloodaxe, by right of the schoon, the true king of the dwarfs, Bashfulson screamed. The cave went silent, except for the echoing scream returning from distant darkness. We were washed into the caves by the flood. We sought one another, voices in the dark. We are dying. Our bodies are broken by the terrible water with teeth of stone. We are too weak to climb. Water surrounds all. This testament we will entrust to young Strong in the arm, who is still nimble, in the hope that it will reach the daylight. For the story of this day must not be forgotten. This outcome was not meant. We came to sign a treaty. It was the secret, careful work of many years. The box stopped speaking, but there were faint groans and the rush of water somewhere. "'Sire, I demand that this should not be heard,' shouted Ardent among the grags. "'It is nothing but lies upon lies. There is no truth in it. What proof is there that this is the voice of Bloodaxe?' "'Captain Good is looking a bit uncertain,' Vimes thought. "'The King's bodyguard?' "'Well, they mostly looked like the stolid kind who stayed loyal and didn't pay much attention.' The miners, angry and confused because the old grags are yelling, this is going to go bad really fast. City watch to me, he shouted. The background noises from the cube died, and another voice started to speak. Detritus looked up quickly. That's old troll, he said. Bashfulson hesitated for a moment. Er, I am Diamond King of Trolls, he said, looking desperately at Vimes. Indeed, we came to make peace— but the mist came down upon us, and when it rose, some trolls and dwarfs cried ambush. They fell to fighting, and would not hear our commands. So troll fought troll, and dwarf fought dwarf, and fools made fools of all of us, as we fought to stop a war until the disgusted sky washed us away. And yet we say this. Here, 
In this cave at the end of the world, peace is made between dwarf and troll, and we will march beyond the hand of death together. For the enemy is not troll, nor is it dwarf, but it is the baleful, the malign, the cowardly, the vessels of hatred, those who do a bad thing and call it good, those we fought today. But the willful fool is eternal, and will say, This is just a trick, Ardent shouted. Say this is a trick, Bashfulson continued, and so we implore, come to the caves under this valley, where you will find us sharing the peace that cannot be broken. The rumbling voice from the box stopped speaking. There was once again a rustle of half-heard voices, and then silence. The little squares moved about for a moment like a sliding puzzle, and the sound came back. Now what issued from it was shouts and screams and the clash of steel. Vimes was watching the king's face. Some of this you knew, right? Not all of it. But you didn't look surprised that it was Bloodax speaking. Rumours? Old stories? Something in the records? You'll never tell me. Hadra, said Bashfulson, and the cube fell silent. That means stop, Mr. Vimes, the Grag added. And so we are under Coombe Valley, sneered Ardent. And what do we find? We find you, said Bashfulson. We always find you. Dead trolls, dead dwarfs, and nothing more than a voice, said Ardent. Ank Morpork is here. They are devious. These words could have been spoken yesterday. The king was watching Ardent and Bashfulson. So was every other dwarf. You don't have to stand and argue, Vimes wanted to shout. Just chain the bastards up and we can sort it out later. But being a dwarf was all about words and laws. These are venerable grags, said Ardent, indicating the robed figures behind him. They have studied the histories. They have studied the devices. Thousands of years of knowledge stand before you. And you, what do you know? That you came to destroy the truth said Bashfulson. You dared not trust it. A voice is just a voice, but these bodies are proof. Ardent snatched the axe from a miner and was flourishing it before any of the bodyguards could react. When realisation caught up with them, there was a massed move forward. No, said Bashfulson, holding up his hands. Sire, please, this is an argument between grags. Why do you carry no axe? Ardent snarled. I need no axe to be a dwarf said Bashfulson. Nor do I need to hate trolls. What kind of creature defines itself by hatred? You strike at the very root of us, said Ardent. At the root? Then strike back, said Bashfulson, holding out his empty hands. And put your sword away, Commander Vimes, he added without turning his head. This is dwarf business. Ardent, I'm still standing. What do you believe in? Ha! Ak! Gastrak! Jad! Ardent jerked forward, axe raised. Bashfulson moved quickly. There was the thud of something hitting flesh, and then a tableau as motionless as the brooding figures around the cavern. There was Ardent, axe raised overhead. There was Bashfulson, down on one knee, with his head resting almost companionably against the dwarf's chest, and the edge of one hand pressed hard against Ardent's throat. Ardent's mouth opened, but all that came out was a croak and a trickle of blood. He took a few steps back and fell over backwards. The axe struck the white, wet, stony waterfall and smashed through the drip of millennia. 
Time fell in shards around. Bashfulson rose, looking shocked and massaging his hand. It is like using an axe, he said to no one in particular, but without the axe. The uproar began again, but a dwarf, dripping with water, pushed through the mob. Sire, there's a band of trolls coming up the valley. They asked for you. They said they want to parley. Rhys stepped over the gurgling body of Ardent, looking intently at the hole in the waterfall of stone. Another piece fell down as he touched it. Is there something unusual about their leader? he said, still staring into the new darkness. Yes, sire, he's all sparkly. Ah, good, said the king. He has his parley. Bring him down here. Could that be a troll who knows some very powerful dwarfs? said Vimes. The low king met his eyes for a moment. Yes, I imagine it is, he said. Then he raised his voice. Someone fetch me a torch. Commander Vimes, could you just look at this, please? In the depths of the revealed cave something shone. On this day in 1802, the painter Methodia Rascal dropped the glittering thing in the deepest well he knew. No one would ever hear it down there. The chicken chased him home. It would be a lot simpler, Vimes thought, if this was a story. A sword is pulled out of a stone, or a magic ring is flung into the depths of the sea, and with general rejoicing the world turns. But this was real life. The world didn't turn, it just went into a spin. It was Coombe Valley Day, and there wasn't a battle going on in Coombe Valley. But what was going on here wasn't peace either. What was going on, well, what was going on was committees. It was negotiation. Actually, as far as he could tell, it hadn't even got as far as negotiation yet. It hadn't got past talks about meetings about delegations. On the other hand, no one had died, except maybe of boredom. There was a lot of history to be unpicked, and for those who weren't actually engaged in that delicate activity there was Coombe Valley to tame. Two cultural heroes were down there in the cavern, and all it needed was one good storm and a few misplaced blockages for a white flood laden with grinding boulders to wipe the whole place away. It hadn't happened yet, but sooner or later the dynamic geography would get around to it. Coombe Valley couldn't be left to its own devices. Not any more. Everywhere you looked, there were teams of trolls and dwarfs, surveying, diverting, damming and drilling. They'd been engaged in this for two days. It would take them forever, because every winter changed the game. Coombe Valley was forcing cooperation on them. Damn Coombe Valley. Vimes thought that that was a bit too pat, but nature can be like that. Sometimes you got sunsets so pink that they had no style at all. One thing that had happened fast was the tunnel. Dwarfs had cut down quickly through the soft limestone. You could stroll down into the cavern now, although, in fact, you'd have to queue because of the long line of trolls and dwarfs. Those in the line going down eyed one another with uncertainty at best. Those in the line coming up sometimes looked angry or were close to tears, or just walked along looking at the ground. Once they got past the exit, they tended to form into quiet groups. Sam, with young Sam in his arms, didn't have to queue. News had got around. He went straight in, past the trolls and dwarfs, who were painstakingly reassembling the broken stalagmites. It was news to Vimes that you could do that, but apparently if you came back in five hundred years they'd be as good as new, and into what had come to be called the King's Cave. And there they were. You couldn't argue with it. There was the dwarf king, slumped forward across the board, glazed by the eternal drip, his beard now rock and at one with a stone, 
but the Diamond's Troll King had remained upright in death, his skin gone cloudy, and you could still see the game in front of him. It was his move. A healthy little stalagmite hung from his outstretched hand. They'd broken off small stalagmites to make the pieces, which time had now glued into immobility. The scratched lines on the stone were more or less invisible, but thud players from both races had already poured over it, and a sketch of the dead king's game had already appeared in the Times. The troll king was playing the dwarf side. Apparently it could go either way. People were saying that when this was all over they'd seal the cave. Too many people in a living cave killed it in some way, the dwarf said, and then the kings would be left in the dark to finish their game, in, with luck, peace. Water dripping on a stone, changing the shape of the world one drop at a time, washing away a valley. Yes, well, Vimes had added to himself, but it had never been that simple, and for every new generation you'd have to open it again, so that people could see that it was true. Today, though, it was open for Sam and young Sam, who was wearing a fetching woolly hat with a bobble on it. Brick and Sally were on duty, along with a couple of dwarfs and two more trolls, all watching the stream of visitors and one another. Worms covered the ceiling. The game gleamed. What would young Sam remember? Probably just the glitter. But it had to be done. The players were genuine. On that, at least, both sides agreed. The carvings on diamond were accurate. The armour and jewellery on blood axe were just as history recorded. Even the long loaf of dwarf bread that he carried into battle, and which could shatter a troll skull, was by his side. Dwarf scholars had, with delicacy and care and the blunting of fifteen saw blades, removed a tiny slice of it. Miraculously, it had turned out still to be as edible now as the day it was baked, which tells you everything you need to know about dwarf bread. A minute was about enough for this historic moment, Vimes decided. Young Sam was at the grabbing age, and he'd never hear the end of it if his son ate a historic monument. "'Can I have a word, Lance Constable?' he said to Sally as he turned to go. "'The guard changes in a minute.' "'Certainly, sir,' said Sally. Vimes strolled off to a corner of the cavern and waited until Nobby and Fred Colon marched in at the head of the relief. "'Glad you joined, Lance Constable,' he said as she hurried up. "'Very much, sir. Good. Shall we go up to the daylight?' She followed him up the slope and into the damp warmth of Coombe Valley, where he sat down on a boulder. He looked at her while young Sam played at his feet. He said, "'Is there anything you'd like to say to me, Lance Constable?' "'Should there be, sir?' "'I can't prove anything, of course,' said Vimes. "'But you are an agent of the Low King, aren't you? "'You've been spying on me.' He waited while she considered her options. Swallows swooped overhead in squadrons. "'I uh, wouldn't put it quite like that, sir,' she said eventually. "'I was keeping an eye on Hamcrusher, and I'd heard about the mining, "'and then, when it all started to heat up, "'becoming a watchman seemed a good idea, right?' Did the League know? No, look, sir, I wasn't spying on you. You told him I was heading for Coombe Valley, and the night we arrived you went for a little fly-around, just stretching your wings. Look, this isn't my life, said Sally. I'd joined the new force in Bionk. We were trying to make a difference up there. I did want to come to Ankh-Morpork anyway, because, well, we all want to, to learn, you know. How you managed to do it? Everyone speaks highly of you. And then the Low King summoned me, and I thought, where's the harm? Hamcrusher has caused trouble up there, too. Uh, I never actually told you a lie, sir. Reese already knew about the secret, right? said Vimes. No, sir, not as such, but I think he suspected there was something down there. Then why didn't he just go and look? Dwarfs digging around in Coombe Valley. 
The trolls would uh, go postal, sir. But not if the dwarfs were merely investigating why a copper from Ankh-Morpork was chasing some fleeing criminals into the caves, right? Not if the copper was good old Sam Vimes, who, everyone knows, is as straight as an arrow, even if he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You can't bribe Sam Vimes, but why bother when you can pull the wool over his eyes? Look, sir, I know how you must feel, but, well, there's your little boy there playing in Coombe Valley with trolls and dwarfs all round, and they're not fighting, right? I didn't lie. I just liaised a little. Wasn't it worth it, sir? Ha! You really worried them when you went to the wizards. Shine hadn't left the city. Reese had to fly him in by night. All they really did was follow your lead. The only person who fooled you was me, and it turns out I wasn't very good at it. They needed you, sir. Look around and say it wasn't worth it. A hundred yards away, a house-sized rock rumbled across the stone, pushed and steered by a dozen trolls, dropped into a sinkhole and blocked it like an egg in a cup. There was a cheer. "'Can I mention something else, sir?' said Sally. "'I do know Angua is standing behind me.' "'It's Sergeant Angua to you,' said Angua by her ear. "'You didn't fool me either. I told you we didn't like snitches in the watch. But for what it's worth, sir, she smells like she's telling the truth.' "'Do you still have a route to the low king?' said Vimes. "'Yes, and I'm sure he'll—' Sally began quickly. "'These are my demands. "'The Grags and what's left of their guards are coming back to Ankh-Morpork with me. "'That includes Ardent, though I'm told it'll be weeks before he can talk again. "'They're going before Vetinari. "'I've got promises to keep, and no one is going to stop me. "'It'll be tough to make any big charges stick, but I'm bloody well going to try.' And, since I'll bet my dinner that Vetinari is in on all this, I expect he'll pack him off back to Reese in any case. I imagine he's got a cell that's deep enough for comfort? Understood. Yes, sir. And the other demands? The same as that one, repeated, repeated in a louder voice, said Vimes. Understood. Absolutely, sir. Then I'll resign, of course, said Sally. Vimes's eyes narrowed. You'll resign when I tell you to, Lance Constable. You took the king's shilling, remember? and made an oath. Go and liaise. You're going to keep her, said Angua, watching the vampire disappear into the distance. You said yourself she's a good copper. We'll see. Oh, don't make that face, Sergeant. It's all the rage in politics these days, spying on your friends. That's what I'm told. Like she said, look around. This is a bit unlike you, sir, said Angua, giving him a look of concern. Yes, it is, isn't it, said Vimes. I had a nice sleep last night. It's a nice day. No one is actively trying to kill me, which is nice. Thank you, Sergeant. Have a nice evening. Vimes carried young Sam back in late afternoon light. Just as well the girl had been working for Reese. Things might have been a bit tricky otherwise. That was the plain fact of it. Keep her on? Maybe. She'd been very useful, even Angra admitted. Besides, he'd been practically forced to take on a spy in times of more or less war. If he played that right... No one would ever again dictate to him who he took on in the watch. Doreen Winkings could rattle her false canines as much as she liked. Hmm. Was this how Vetinari thought all the time? He heard his name being called. A coach was coming across the rock and Sybil was waving from the window. That was another step forward. Even wagons could get up here now. You haven't forgotten the dinner tonight, have you? She said, a hint of suspicion in her voice. No, dear. Vimes hadn't, but he'd hoped that it might evaporate if he didn't think about it. It was going to be official, with both kings and lots of important lesser kings and clan leaders, 
and the special envoy from Ankh-Morpork, unfortunately. That would be Sam Vimes scrubbed up. At least they weren't going to be tights and plumes. Even Sybil hadn't been that far-sighted. Regrettably, though, the town had a decent tailor who'd been very keen to use all that gold braid he'd bought by accident a couple of years ago. "'Willikins will have a bath run by the time we get back,' said Sybil as the coach moved away. "'Yes, dear,' said Vimes. "'Don't look so glum. You'll be upholding the honour of Ankh-Morpork, remember?' "'Really, dear? What shall I do with the other hand?' said Vimes, settling back into the seat. "'Oh, Sam! Tonight you'll walk with kings!' "'I'd sooner be walking all by myself along Treacle Mine Road at three in the morning,' Vimes thought. "'In the rain, with the gutters gushing. But it was a wife thing. She took such a, a pride in him. He could never work out why.' He looked down at his arm. He sorted that out at least. Exit wound indeed. It was just the way the burning oil had splashed on his skin. It might look a bit like that damn symbol, enough to put the wind up the dwarfs, but no floaty eyeball was going to get past him. Common sense and facts, that's what worked. After a while, it dawned on him that they weren't going into the town. They'd gone down almost as far as the lakes, but now they were heading back up on the cliff path. He could see the valley below them opening out. The kings were working their subjects hard, reasoning that tired warriors are less keen to fight. Teams swarmed over the rock like ants. Maybe there was a plan. There probably was. But the mountains would sneer at it every winter. You'd have to have squads here all the time. You'd need to scout the mountainsides to find and smash the big boulders before they caused trouble. Remember Coombe Valley. Because if you don't, your history is history. And maybe, behind the thunder and in the roar of the waters flowing underground, you'll hear the laughter of dead kings. The coach came to a halt. Sybil opened the door. Get down, Sam Vimes, she said. No arguing. It's time for your portrait. Out here, but it's... Vimes began. "'Good afternoon, Commander,' said Otto Shriek cheerfully, appearing at the doorway. "'I have set up a bench on the light. It's just right for the colour.' Vimes had to admit that it was. Thunderlight made the mountains gleam like gold. In the middle distance the tears of the king fell in a line of glittering silver. Brightly coloured birds skimmed through the air, and all the way up the valley there were rainbows. Coombe Valley, on Coombe Valley Day. He'd had to be there.' "'If her ladyship will be seated with the little boy on her lap, "'and you, Commander, standing with your hand on her shoulder?' "'He bustled around his big black iconograph. "'He's up here taking pictures for the Times,' Sybil whispered, "'and I thought, well, it's now or never. "'Portraiture must move on.' "'How long is this going to take?' said Vimes. "'Oh, about a fraction of a second, Commander,' said Otto. "'Vimes brightened up. "'This was more like it.' Of course, it never is, but it was a warm afternoon, and Vimes still felt good. They sat and stared with those fixed grins people wear when they're wondering why a fraction of a second takes half an hour, while Otto tried to get the universe sorted out to his satisfaction. "'Havelock will be wondering how to reward you, you know,' murmured Sybil, as the vampire fussed around. "'He can go on wondering,' said Vimes. "'I've everything I want,' he smiled. "'Click!' Sixty new officers,' said Lord Vetinari. "'The price of peace, sir,' said Captain Carrot earnestly. "'I'm sure that Commander Vimes wouldn't settle for anything less. We are really stretched.' Sixty men. And dwarfs and trolls, obviously, is more than a third of your current complement,' said the patrician, tapping his walking-stick on the cobbles. "'Peace comes with a rather large bill, Captain.' "'And a few dividends, sir,' Carrot said. 
They looked up at the circle and bar symbol over the door of the mine, just above the yellow and black rope used by the watch to warn off intruders. "'The mine falls to us by default,' said Vetinari. "'Apparently, sir, I believe the term is eminent domain.' "'Ah, yes, that means theft by the government,' said Vetinari. "'But the Grags bought the freehold, sir. They're hardly going to contest it now.' "'Quite. And the dwarves really can make watertight tunnels?' "'Oh, yes. The trick is almost as old as mining. Would you care to step inside? I'm afraid the elevator is not working at the moment, though.' Lord Vetinari inspected the rails and the little carts the dwarfs had used to shift spoil. He felt the dry walls. He went back upstairs and frowned as a one-ton slab of iron came through the wall, whirled past his face, passed through the opposite wall, and buried itself in the street outside. "'And was that supposed to happen?' he said, brushing plaster dust off his robe. An excited voice behind him shouted, "'The talk! It's impossible! Amazing!' A figure climbed through the wall, holding something in one hand. It rushed up to Captain Carrot, vibrating with excitement. "'It spins once every six-point-nine seconds, but the talk is immense. It broke the clamp. What powers it?' "'No one seems to know,' said Carrot. "'In Uberwald, "'Excuse me, what is this about?' said Lord Vetinari, holding out a hand imperiously. The man glanced at him and then turned to Carrot. "'Who's this?' he said. "'Lord Vetinari, ruler of the city, may I present Mr. Pony of the Artificers' Guild?' said Carrot quickly. "'Please let his lordship see the axle, Mr. Pony.' "'Thank you,' said Vetinari. He took the thing, which looked like two cubes, each about six inches on a side, joined together on one face, like a pair of dice joined at the sixes. In relation to the other, one turned very, very slowly. "'Oh,' he said flatly, "'a mechanism, how nice.' "'Nice?' said Pony. Don't you understand? It won't stop turning. Carrot and Pony looked expectantly at the patrician, who said, And that's a good thing, is it? Carrot coughed. Yes, sir. One of these drives one of the biggest mines in Uberwald. All the pumps, the fans that move the air, the trucks that haul the ore, the bellows for the forges, the elevators, everything. Just one of those. It's another type of device, like the cubes. We don't know how they're made, they're very rare, but the other three I've heard of have not stopped working for hundreds of years. They don't use fuel, they don't need anything. They appear to be millions of years old. No one knows what made them, they just turn. How interesting, said Vetinari. Hauling trucks underground, you say? Oh, yes, said Carrot. Even with miners in. I shall give this some thought, said Vetinari, avoiding Mr. Pony's outstretched hand. And what could we make it do in this city? He and Carrot turned questioning faces to Mr. Pony, who shrugged and said, Everything. Plink went a drop of water onto the head of the very, very late King Bloodaxe. How long are we going to have to do this, Sarge? said Nobby, as they watched the line of visitors shuffle past the dead kings. Mr. Vames has sent for another squad from whom? said Fred Colon, shifting from one foot to the other. It seemed quite warm when you first came into the cave, but after a while the clamminess could get a man down. He reflected that Nobby wasn't affected by this, being blessed by nature with natural clammy. "'It's starting to give me the creeps, Sarge,' said Nobby, indicating the kings. "'If that hand moves, I'm going to scream.' "'Think of it as being there, Nobby. I've always been somewhere, Sarge.' "'Yeah, but when they comes to write the history books, they'll—' Fred Colon paused for thought. He had to admit they probably wouldn't mention him and Nobby. "'Well, your tawny will be proud of you anyway.' 
I think that's not to be, Sarge, said Nobby sadly. She's a nice girl, but I think I'm going to have to let her down lightly. Surely not. Faith so, Sarge. She cooked me dinner the other day. She tried to make distressed pudding like my old mum used to make. Plink. Fred Colon smiled all the way from his stomach. Ah, oh, yes. No one could distress a pudding like your old mum, Nobby. It was awful, Fred. Ought to keep a man warm on a cold night, Fred agreed. And, you know, these days, when she eats me with a wet fish, it doesn't sting like it used to, Nobby went on. I think we were reaching an understanding. Plink. She can crack a lobster with her fist, Colon observed. That's a very portable talent. So, I was thinking of speaking to Angua, said Nobby. She might give me a few hints on how to let Tawny down gently. That's a good idea, Nobby, said Fred. No touching, sir, otherwise I shall have to cut your fingers off. This was said in a friendly tone of voice to a dwarf who had been reaching in awe toward the board. But we'll still be friends, of course, said Nobby, as the dwarf backed away. So long as I can get into the Pussycat Club for free anyway, I'll always be there if she needs a helmet to cry on. That's very modern of you, Nobby, said Fred. He smiled in the gloom. Somehow the world was back on course. Plink. Wandering through the world, the eternal troll, Brick headed after Detritus, dragging his club. Well, he was going up into the world and no mistaking. They said it hurt if you come off the stuff, but Brick had always hurt all his life, and right now it wasn't too bad at all. It was, like, weird the way he could think to the end of a sentence now and still remember the start of it. And he was being given food, which he was getting to like once he stopped throwing it up. Sergeant Detritus, who knew everything, had told him if he stayed clean and smartened up, he could rise as high as Lance Constable one day, making hippo money. He wasn't too sure what had been happening to cause all this. It looked like he wasn't in the city anymore, and there had been some fighting, and Sergeant Detritus had showed him these kind of dead people and smacked him around the head and said, Remember, and he was doing his best, but he'd been smacked around the head a whole lot harder many, many times, and that one was nothing. But Sergeant Detritus said it was all about not hating dwarfs no more, and that was OK, because really, Brick never had the energy to waste hating. What they'd been doing down that hole was making the world a better place, Sergeant Detritus said. And it seemed to Brick, as he smelled the food, that Sergeant Detritus had got that one dead right. Trolls and dwarfs had raised a huge roundhouse in Coombe Valley, using giant boulders for the walls and half a fallen forest for the roof. A fire thirty yards long crackled inside. Ranged around it on long benches were the kings of more than a hundred dwarf mines, and the leaders of eighty troll clans, with their followers and servants and bodyguards. The noise was intense, the smoke was thick, the heat was a wall. It had been a good day. Progress had been made. The guests were not mixing, that was true, but nor were they trying to kill one another. This was a promising development. The truce was holding. At the high table, King Rhys leaned back in his makeshift throne and said, One does not make demands of kings. One makes requests which are graciously granted. Does he not understand? I don't think he gives a tracas, sir, if I may be coarse, said Greg Bashfulson, who was standing respectfully beside him. And the senior dwarfs in the city will be right behind him on this. It's not my place, sir, but I advise acquiescence. And that's all he wants? No gold, no silver, no concessions? That's all he wants, sire. But I suspect you'll be hearing from Lord Vetinari before long. Oh, you may be sure of that, said the king. He sighed. It's a new world, Greg, but some things don't change. There, uh, that thing has left him, has it? I believe so, sire. 
You are not certain? The Grag smiled a faint inward smile. Let's just say that his reasonable request is best granted, shall we, sire? Your point is taken, Grag, thank you. King Rhys turned in his seat, leaned across the two empty places, and said to Diamond King, Do you think something has happened to them? It's past six o'clock. Shine smiled, filling the hall with light. I suspect they've been delayed by matters of great importance. More important than this, said the Dwarf King. And because some things are important, the coach stood outside the magistrate's house down in the town. The horses stamped impatiently. The coachman waited. Inside, Lady Sybil darned a sock, because some things are important, with a faint smile on her face. And floating out of an open upstairs window was the voice of Sam Vimes. It goes hurrug! It is a hippopotamus! That is not my cow! Nevertheless, it would do for now. We hope you've enjoyed this